Our scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. You can find it on your note sheet if you want to look there, or it's in the Pew Bible also. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I was a little apprehensive that my message wouldn't be up here. I asked Kristen to print it, but, you know, when you mess with people so much, you never know when they're going to mess with you back. Uh, <laughs> there's probably a lesson in there somewhere, I'm sure. Um, you know, we've spent four or five weeks now on this on these temptation passages, and, and there there is a temptation to go, my goodness, how long are we going to spend on these passages? But... You know, it's comforting to me that it, that the, the Bible shows us everything. The Bible shows us that Jesus was tempted in all these different ways that, that I'm tempted. And so there's literally nothing that I go through that my God hasn't experienced as well. I mean, the, the devil comes at Jesus. Uh, you'll notice he comes at him from the human side of, of everything because it's the only side where he maybe stood a chance. Um, and, and, and Jesus just continues to respond um, with Scripture. But uh, I'm just I'm so comforted by that, that, that all these different ways that the devil comes at me, and, and he comes at me in, in all of these three ways and more, um, that Jesus experienced that, and that he gives me a model for how to, how to rebuke the devil and, and say, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not buying into that. Uh, it, it sounds good, but I know the rest of the story. Um, pray with me. Father, I just uh, thank you this morning for, for your word. God, for meeting us here in this place as we worship you. God, it is our joy to worship you, to come here and to, to think about all the things you've done in our life and, and this week and, and, and in recent days and, and even now as we sit here, the, the work that you're doing on our behalf. God, to think of how much you love us, how much to the extent to which you've gone to be with us, God. Um, and so, God, it is our joy now to, to open your word and to explore it and to take comfort in the fact that, that you do love us so much, that you went to such great lengths to forge a relationship with us when, when you didn't have to, God. We, we broke the deal. We broke the deal. Um, but you did, God. And so uh, this morning, as we open your word together, as we continue worshiping you, God, um, by investigating your word, I just pray that you would reveal more and more of yourself to us so that we might come to know you better. Oh, God, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you. Um, 
You are our rock and, and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just want to do a, a quick review of the, the last couple of weeks just to keep us up to speed. Um, so this this definition of, of temptation that we've been working with is sort of this intersection between desire and, and opportunity, where there's this thing that I, I really, really want, and, um, and now I have this opportunity to make that a reality. And, and the devil just has a heyday in those intersections. Um, so the first temptation that we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, where, where the devil tempts Jesus and he says, you know, you've been, you've got to be hungry, Jesus. You've been fasting for 40 days. So take these stones and make them loaves of bread. And so the, um, the temptation that we recognized there was, was lust. And we always think of lust as like a sexual thing, but really lust is, uh, is just this desire to meet your own needs. This desire to, you know, the, I, I heard David Platt say years ago, and those of you that have been around me have heard me say it many times, the Garden of Eden wasn't perfect because all of man's needs were met. The Garden of Eden was perfect because all of man's needs were met by God. And so this temptation of lust just tempts us to go around that. And and Jesus just responds from from Deuteronomy and, and just says, man shall not live by bread alone, but but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I love that Jesus responds from Deuteronomy because it's like way back at the beginning. Um, and uh, it reminds me of the, the Chronicles of Narnia where the, 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 in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where this witch character, this, this devil character is tempting the lion Aslan. And, and he says, you know, don't, don't speak to me of the deep magic. I was there when it was written. And so, so Jesus is responding with this, this thing that he was there for when it was written way back at the beginning, when, when the law was, was written uh, with, the, with the Hebrews. Um, and so uh, we were tempted to try and meet our own needs instead of just relying on God to meet our needs. I just love Becky's story and that, you know, no matter what, we're going to rely on God to meet these needs. And, and hers was financial in nature, but it could be anything. It could be anything, um, but we're we're gonna we're gonna commit to to relying on God. I've I've decided to follow Jesus, and there's no turning back. So the second temptation that we talked about last week, um, you know, the devil takes Jesus up to the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem, the social center of the city of Jerusalem, and he says, "Throw yourself off." Scripture says that that God will send His angels to, to catch you. And, and think about where Jesus is here. He's just been, he's just been baptized and, and begun his ministry symbolically. And then, uh, as, as Mark would say, I love that, that Mark uses the word immediately so many times. Uh, but immediately the Spirit leads Jesus out into the desert to be tempted. And so Jesus is at the very beginning of his ministry. How tempting would it be to do this miraculous thing and, and have kind of an instant body of followers to be, to be elevated above others and have all these people go, oh my gosh, who is this guy? To, to, to have God send angels to catch him and lower him to the ground. Um, but, but Jesus, um, 
Jesus responds again. He says, he says, again, as it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So he responds again with Scripture. And I want, I want that to really sink in that we respond to temptation most effectively by knowing who God is and what God has said. And we find that in Scripture. This is God's word to us. And not that God doesn't speak in other ways through other people, but this is God's message to us. And so we learn who God is. We learn God's response to these sorts of temptations by knowing what his word says. If we're going to base our life on it, let's, let's know what it says. And so the second temptation we, we said was the desire to be liked and accepted by others. Instead of finding our identity in Christ, instead of knowing that the God of the universe loved us enough that, that he did everything just to be with us, just like, just like we sang in that song. He did everything. He went to great lengths that he didn't have to go to, but he did out of love for us. So instead of finding our identity in that, as, as Paul will say in, in Romans, as a co-heir with Christ, as a child of God, we're tempted to find our identity in what others think of us um, or, or what they don't think of us. And, um, and, and that is hard because we're hit with that all the time in this world, all the time. So this morning we're brought to this third temptation. And um, uh, I think we're just going to have Beth read Scripture every single week. Uh, in fact, I think I'm just going to have her record the Bible for me so I can just listen to it. Um, but the devil takes Jesus up to what the Bible says is a very high mountain. And, um, and I don't have the details, but I know Pastor Davis talked about what, where that mountain might have been and what Jesus might have been able to see. But he would have been able to see all these areas, all these, all these kingdoms. And the devil shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he, and he says to Jesus, all these I will give to you if you'll just fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is a really complicated temptation for me when I read it. There's a lot more going on here than just, hey, Jesus, I'll let you control all these people if you just worship me. There's a lot more going on here. Um, and so I want to unpack that this morning. Um, uh, we're going to continue to use this same format where we recognize a surface temptation and then what's the deeper temptation. And we'll, we're, so we're going to step through this. There's sermon notes in your bulletin. They have blanks to fill in if, if that's your thing. Uh, if that helps you, uh, please use that. Um, so as we step into this, the, the surface temptation here um, is really materialism. And we think of materialism, it's kind of been watered down to think just gathering stuff, you know. And that is, that is a part of it, gathering stuff. But really materialism is just this desire, this need to possess or, just, or to own it, like if we possess something, well, then it's mine. I, you know, I have it, and we don't always realize what a dangerous temptation that is because, again, it's been so watered down uh, in our world. Um, 
I mean, I think of, uh, of, of the Christmas season, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to pick on Christmas, uh, cultural Christmas right now, but that's just one example of how, how it's been, how it's been watered down. Um, even Easter is sort of becoming like this sort of gift giving season. I, I saw something on TV the other day and, and noticed that. And again, I'm not going to pick on that right now, but those are just ways that our culture kind of waters down what materialism really is. But there's something about possessions. There's something about ownership. Um, and, um, and I know for, for sure in, in men, I can, I can certainly speak from the male side of things because I, I've, I deal with that all the time. But I think for, for all of us, um, it just takes different forms. But possessions make us feel important. They make us feel elevated somehow. Um, we have this phrase, keeping up with the Joneses. I've never met the Joneses. I've met people with the last name Jones. But whoever these Joneses were must have had a lot of stuff because everybody's always trying to keep up with them. Um, but but that is a thing, right? I remember one time I uh, I was house-sitting for my parents. They were on vacation for a week, and my mom had just gotten a new car. And she said, well, you can drive my car if you want. Just park your car out there. My car's got a full tank of gas. Just drive that. Brand new car. She's had, she'd had it for a week. And I know what you're thinking. You're going to think I took this car out and I wrecked it. But that's not where I'm going. So um, thank goodness. It's not that I didn't try. It just, you know. Um, but I drove, so I drove this car for a week. And it's nice, and you don't realize. I, I drive a I, I drive a, a Volvo, but it's a 2004 Volvo <laughs> that has little things that break on it all the time. Um, and so you don't realize all the little sounds your car makes, and how rough your car runs, and how when it switches gears, your car kind of jerks a little bit until you drive a new car, and everything is so smooth and so nice, and. Uh, you know, my, my car has a tape deck. So if I want to hook up my iPhone, I have this contraption that goes from the tape deck to this iPhone adapter into my phone. And, um, it's, uh, really you guys, if, if you have the means, I recommend you get a tape deck. Um, talk about materialism, but, um, but then I drive for this car for a week and I find myself going, my car is not quite good enough anymore. I don't really like my car. Prior to driving this car, I thought my car was fine. But then I go, you know, I, I don't really, man, my car does this thing. I never noticed that before. It has this smell. I never, it's, I think it's called old car smell. But I, I never noticed it before, but now I notice it. But these, these are things that we, that we deal with. And then we go out and we make stupid financial decisions because of impulse and sometimes we get caught in those and we end up having to return a vehicle or return something to the store and we're embarrassed. And, and we don't really have to go through all that if we just take time and think it through and think about what God has given us and think about God's provision in all of this, thinking about how God meets our needs and what's, what, what is God's plan here. So if possessions make us feel important and elevated, ownership, I mean, just the word ownership, it, it gives us this false sense of, of self-esteem. And, um, you know, I know self-esteem is, is this really complicated thing, and we have some 
some psychologists in the room, and so I won't go there for fear of being beaten afterwards. But it, it just this, this false sense of identity. Do you see how much is tied up in our identity? How much is tied up in our identity? When we don't find our identity as a child of God, when we don't see ourselves as a co-heir with Christ, what more could you want than that? But our identity gets tied up in all of these other things. So that, that is the ultimate question here is where do you find your identity? You know, for Jesus, did he find his identity as the son of God? Or, or how terrible would it have been if he found his identity as something else? If this temptation, any of these temptations from Satan would have worked, where would we be? It'd be awful. So here's the thing. We search for places to find our identity. Many of us have lots of stories about how we've searched for identity in something that wasn't God and it failed us miserably and then our road back to where we could find our identity in Christ. But whatever it is, whatever form it takes, if we find our identity in anything other than God, it will fail us. It will crumble eventually because God is the only one who won't fail you. Your family will, will fail you. Some of you have stories like that. Your children will fail you. Some of you have stories like that. Your, your job will fail you. You know, if you're a man and you find your identity in your work, what happens if you get fired? What happens when you retire? I can't tell you how many guys I've seen retire from, from my company and they have no idea what to do because it was their whole identity. Um, it, it will crumble. And when your identity crumbles, you will crumble with it. And then there's this period of rebuilding. And God is there through that. God helps us rebuild that. But it's this, this process of, of finding our identity in God and who God has intended for us to be. What is God's calling on your life? So if the surface temptation is materialism and and the desire to possess or to own, the deeper temptation really lies in this desire to have control. Um, And um, if I'm stepping on your toes this morning, just know I'm stepping on my own as well. Uh, Just as hard. God's sort of been stepping on my toes all morning. Um, It's this perceived lack of control that produces our anxiety, our fear. I mean, the, the exact stuff that, that Becky was talking about. Um, anger? And, and we, we perceive that we have a lack of control because we perceive that we actually do have control of something. And we will wrestle with God and wrestle with God and we'll wrestle with other human beings and our spouses and our kids for control. And you see how it's all rooted in that ownership problem? We want control because then we, we can take the wheel. So I, I used to have, uh, I, and I still do have a, a mild case of a flight anxiety. It's not near as bad as what it used to be because I've just I've flown enough for work that I, I kind of got over a little bit of it. Um, it's much more dangerous to drive in a car cross-country than it is to fly. Statistically, 
much, much more dangerous. But there's something about being in a car and having your hands on the wheel that makes you think everything is okay because I have my hands on the wheel. I, this infallible human being that could never make a mistake, never mind the other people on the road going 80 miles an hour on the interstate, we're safe because I've got my hands on the wheel. And every once in a while you have a close call or something or you go to nod off, especially if you're on a long trip. And, but you rationalize that away because you're still safe because you have control. With the, with the pilot, you just hope. You hope the pilot's having a good day. You hope he got good sleep last night. You hope he ate his Wheaties. You, you hope a lot of things. Um, but you can't see him. Up. You're not up there. You can't see him. He's, he's got his hands on the wheel. He's even got other people with him. But you can't see them. You don't know them. You don't know the process. And so you just kind of have to sit back in your uh, incredibly small plane seat and, and hope for the best. And it is a bit unnerving. I've actually not met very many people that say, I love flying. There are folks out there who do love flying. Um, but uh, there's a lot of people that have an issue with that. And it's all tied to giving up control, letting go of the wheel. Sometimes um, the fear and anxiety that that can produce uh, is, is paralyzing. The thought of not having control of a situation, the thought of having to trust God. Can I say that again out loud? The thought of having to trust God with a situation makes us anxious. Even though we know who God is, even though we come here on Sunday and we sing about who God is, about how wonderful he is, about how loving he is, about how much he wants to be with us. It's still anxiety producing because our world says what's real is what you can touch, smell, taste. That's what's real. And, and, and I, I can't wrap my arms around, around God physically. I can spiritually and have and do. But physically, it's, he's not there. And so... It produces anxiety. You have to hope and have faith. And, and that is sometimes very difficult and, and sometimes produces a lot of fear. And so in Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, where Paul just says, don't be, don't be anxious about anything. But, you know, approach God with with, with fear and with supplication. Supplication is just this big, big Bible word that means to ask for help. Ask God for help. Approach God and ask Him for those things. Lay those things on Him. And then the, pros, the, the, the promise of, of God's word is that you'll be given this peace. God will give you this peace if you're open to it. You know, God doesn't just pry your jaws open and say, here, have some peace. He, you have to be open to it. But God will give you this peace and you will know that he is in control. I know I've just said all that. And I I know from experience it's a lot easier said than done. Uh, Any of you who know me very well know that I I struggle with anxiety. Uh, It runs in my family. I struggle with with depression at times. I struggle with anxiety. And I I tell you, I, I I was talking with Pastor Dave this morning and just... When you are in an anxiety-producing situation, it just it chases all thought of God out of your head. So how can it not be a tool of the devil? How can it not be? 
and and, I, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into what's chemical imbalance and 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 what's spiritual and, and all that. I, I, that's a, a whole different conversation that that we can have some other time uh, with other parties present who know more than me. Um, but but it does paralyze you spiritually. Anxiety does. Fear, anger, these things just chase the thoughts of God out of your mind. And all you can think about is yourself. And you're isolated. When you're anxious, don't you feel isolated? Don't you feel alone? And you think, I've got to deal with this by myself. I've got to, I'm the only one who can deal with this. I've got to figure this out. I've got to control it. And God says, no, you don't. No, you don't. Let me control it. I'll give you peace. You can enjoy peace. And I'll drive. I'll drive. And, and the seats that God gives you are not too small. God has nice, big airplanes. But because of who God is, we don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be afraid. Simply because of who God is and what he's done. And when we have things, when we can't have things our way, when things don't go our way, we just, we just get mad. You know, and I think of I think of situations. Several of you have had have have had very close loved ones die, and, and I I I think about you know when 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 we're praying for healing, and healing doesn't come, and we just get so mad at God. And I don't want you to hear me wrong this morning. I'm not saying that it's wrong to be mad at God. I'm not. Paul says, you know, be angry, but don't sin in in your anger. Anger is part of our life, and it does happen. But in those times of anger at God, remember who God is and let him take your anger. Pour that out on him. Scream and shout at him if you have to. He can take it. But remember who it is you're talking to. Remember who God is and let him take that from you. We like to have complete control over everything, um, but it's not good for us. It's, it's not the way God intended for things to be. I say our lack of control is perceived because God is always in control. We know that up here, but we don't always know it or remember it in here. We know a lot about God, right? We know a lot of things about God. But as J.I. Packer would say, do we really know God? Have we experienced God? Are we allowing ourselves to experience God's love? Because if we are... Do we understand that God's ways are way better than our ways? Doesn't it sound foolish to think that my way would be better than God's way? It sounds silly to say that out loud, but we think it all the time. We, we, we look at God at times when we go, to, you're in my seat. It sounds silly. It sounds, it, you, you say it out loud and you think, well, that's dumb. But we, we all do it all the time, all the time. God, I, 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 I know this road better than you. Let me drive this one. Um, and it's usually because, God, I'm afraid how you're going to drive. I'm afraid of how you're going to work this situation out. God, I, I, work this situation out for me, but, but please don't let my family find out. Please don't let my friends find out. Don't, don't out me, God, but work this situation out. But when we give God control, when, 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 when we cease striving and let God be God, when we just be still, 
and God does his thing, we realize that we were never really in control to begin with, that God has been working the whole time. Um, Part of believing in a sovereign God is knowing that we are not ultimately in control and being comforted by that. Being comforted by the fact that the one who knows more than we do, because God operates off of knowledge we don't have, that if he's in control, what better hands could I be in? What better hands could I be in? If God loves us as much as he says he does, if God is who he says he is, and if you've come to that place this morning, and I recognize the fact that some of you may not have, and that's totally okay, but if you've come to that place where God is who he says he is, where Jesus is who he says he is, why would we not want him to be in the driver's seat? There's no better driver. He is the original driver. So let's get to the real temptation then. Authority and power apart from God's way and God's timing. So Jesus, as soon as he came into this earth, crying, wailing, he already had power, right? Sorry, I didn't. you must be unsure, right? Yeah, there we go. Thank you. I like to sneak in those audience participation things when you're not looking for them. The devil wasn't offering Jesus any authority he didn't already have. He was just offering Jesus authority apart from God's plan, apart from God's timing. You'll notice that what the devil promises doesn't involve a cross. You'll notice that what the devil promises doesn't involve pain and suffering, doesn't involve death. It sounds really good. We keep talking about these half-truths every week. The devil sounds really good, but he doesn't give you all of it. Uh, Pastor Dave talked to us last week about Psalm 91, about, you know, the devil quotes just enough of that passage, but he doesn't quote the part about Jesus trotting on the head of the snake and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Which And the devil knew that. The devil's been there for since, since the beginning as well. He's been there a long time. He knows all these things. But he quotes just enough to make it sound good, to make it sound convincing. But it's not real. It's not real. So the devil offers Jesus this opportunity to bypass the cross. And, you know, in, in Matthew chapter 16, um, somebody glued my pages together, I'm thinking. Um, in Matthew chapter 16, Peter has just gotten through saying to Jesus, you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus goes to, uh, or starts to tell them about, foretell his death and explain to them uh, the yes I am and, and that's what this means. And Peter says, no way, Jesus, no way. Not, not on my watch. I will die before you die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And he's really harsh in that moment. Peter has just said this beautiful thing and Jesus has affirmed him and turns right around and says, get behind me, Satan. And I always thought, man, that seems really quick and harsh. But when you look at this temptation this morning, do you see how dangerously close Peter's words were to the words of the devil? 
They were so close. And we see in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus did have some apprehension about the cross. That he said, if it's at all possible, let this, let this cup pass from me. The difference between Jesus and us is we would try to find a way, many of us, to bypass God's plan. Because it's uncomfortable and it hurts and we're scared and we're afraid. Jesus submits himself to God's plan. Jesus says, God, I, <laughs> I don't want to do this. But if it's your plan, I will do it. I'll do it. Because your plan is way more important than what I want. For us, that's a, that's a scary thing to say. That, that, that's a, that can be a very scary situation. Um, we live in sort of the smartphone world where everything is just immediate. And so if we want the national news, the world news, news about our family, pictures from a birthday party, you know, we, we, we pull out our phone and they're right there. Those of us that have smartphones, I, I recognize many of you are smart enough to not have a smartphone. Um, but everything is so immediate. You know, how many 24-hour news stations do we need? You just turn on the TV and there's news right, right in front of you all the time, all the time. And if you wait 10 or 15 minutes, you get the same news over again. Uh, but that's actually been a real detriment to our relationship with God because now we expect God to operate on that timeline. We expect God to operate right now. And God, God operates on his perfect timing. The, the, the Kairos weekend that's going on at Branch, or not Branchville, Wabash Correctional Facility this weekend. Kairos is literally the Greek word for God's timing. God's special time. There is no better timing than God's time. But we want things now. We want things right now. We want answers. We want answers right now. And it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. But our culture has sort of started to blend with our beliefs, with the church. And if you read scripture, this has been a problem from, from the very beginning. Saul would pray to God and then, you know, he'd run up the road to the witch doctor's house and he'd pray to her idols and stuff and just, just keep himself covered. It, these things blend, begin to blend together and that's where things get, get dangerous. That's where temptation really becomes strong. Because God doesn't operate in the confines of our timing. And thank goodness he doesn't. Praise God that he doesn't operate within our confines. Because if he did, he'd be an awful lot like us. I don't want God to be like me. I take comfort in the fact that God knows so much better than I do. That God does so much more than I could ever do. I don't want God to be like me. But at times I want God to operate within my rules. So when we expect God to, to operate within our set of rules, we, we lose sight of the fact that God is holy and perfect and mighty and loving. And he's all those things that we wish we were. And that, and, and that God is trying to form us into the way that he intended for us to be. We don't want God to be more like us. We do not want God to be more like us. We want to be more like God. So the strategy of Satan, then, is just offering us what is already ours. But 
always with a twist. The first part always sounds good. It's what comes after that doesn't. Uh, Romans says, like I said before, Paul says in Romans, we are co-heirs with Christ. We lose sight of that and we get caught up in all the things of this world because those things scream louder. They're right in front of us every day. The situations in this world that we come in contact with, they scream at us way louder than the eternal things because they're right here. And so we get caught up in those because they're so loud. But this is the danger uh, of, of the culture mixing with our faith because there are so many messages out there that say life doesn't have to be that way. Life can be roses. God wants you to live your best life now. And folks, church, it is not true. God wants you to give it all over to him now. And let him form your best life. But God's ultimate goal is to glorify you with him for all of eternity. Not to live your best life here. So no matter how much you possess, no matter how much you own, no matter how much control you have, it will never be as good as the way God intended for things to be. Never. God is looking for, from you and I, this morning, he's looking for a blank check on the table that just says, whatever it takes, God, whatever it takes to make your name known, to make your salvation known throughout the ends of the earth, whatever it takes, I'm all in. That's what, that, that's what God is looking for. That's what God's word asks for. And before you start to feel ashamed or anything like that, just know I'm... I'm no closer than you are. I'm trying. I try every day to get a little bit closer and a little bit closer to that, to try and fight my fear, to fight my anxiety. So that God willing, maybe I won't have to fight them someday. That I, I, I will be able to just hand that over to God and say, God, whatever, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I'm just not there yet. So the solution to this strategy, and it sounds very simplistic, is to worship God alone. And you think, well, we do that. We worship God alone. But do we? Because when we worship God alone, we remember his promises to us. This word is filled with promises to us. Absolutely filled with promises that are ours to claim. And those promises remind us of who we are in relationship to God and who he is in relationship to us. We remember who we are and whose we are. God's word reveals to us this relationship with Christ in which we gain this new identity. And when we, un- when we gain that new identity and we understand that, oh my gosh, we have, I've always belonged to God. Always. I always have. Since before the beginning, Psalm 139 says, He started before we ever were formed in the womb. He started. That's beyond my comprehension, folks. It really is. But it makes me feel extremely loved. That God was working for me before I ever was. That's beautiful. And so when we learn that 
and we can truly worship God alone, we're not so tempted to worship the things of this world, whether that's our job, whether that's our, our family, our, our children, our, our parents. And those things are all really good things, but they're not God, and they're not worthy of our worship. So just to finish up here, I know you like, I know you like those words, so I try and throw those words in. Um, I ought to do it at the beginning. The discipline here is exactly what, what Becky was talking about earlier, is generosity. Now, how does generosity confront this temptation of needing to own? Well, because generosity is giving up. You're giving it up. Whether it's your stuff, whether it's your money, whether it's your time, give it up. Generosity, as we come full circle, puts us in a situation where we must rely on God's provision. Generosity forces us to stop trying to meet our own needs and to rely on God to meet our needs. It forces us to put God in control. Because frankly... I know for us, there are months where we tithe and uh, we really need that money. We really do. And lo and behold, by the end of the month, it, it's there. Or by the end of the pay period, it's there. God provides in all kinds of ways. I could stand up here for a long time and talk about ways, and I won't today. But I, but I could. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. God has never been more real than since I started tithing. But when you give, and whether that's tithing or whether that's some other form of sacrificial giving above and beyond a tithe, it isn't about the money. It's not about the money. It's about recognizing that everything you have, including and especially your money, is God's already. He gave it to you. He provided it for you. So when you give, you're just, you're just giving it back to him. That's all you're doing. And when you give, it's also about trusting God with your resources and saying, God, I trust you completely. I'm not going to lie. God, I need I need this money to make ends meet, but I'm going to trust that you're going to make ends meet for us. Our memory verse today, Isaiah 41:10 says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That is God's promise to me and to you this morning and every single day. And you can claim that promise. You can claim that promise. So just to, to finish up today as we, as we take this meal together, I just want you to understand that as you take this meal, you sit at the table with Jesus you, you sit at the table with Christ. And it's just a time where you, can, where you can pour those things out to him. Not that we don't have that opportunity every day, but to sit at the table with Jesus and to think about who you are to him and who he is to you. To think about who you are and whose you are. Who do you belong to this morning? Because in the face of that kind of love, why do we need to have so much control? And again, I'm with you guys. I want, I want the control. 
I have to wrestle with God all the time because I want control so badly. But what is there in this world that this world can give you that Christ hasn't already given you? It's already yours. It's already yours. There's nothing that the devil can offer you that you haven't already been promised. You have a God who desperately loves you. And you can trust him with everything. And I encourage you this morning as we take this meal together that you spend that time meditating on what you need to give him control of this morning. Let's pray. Oh God, we just thank you for your promises, God. Your promises that say that you will strengthen us, you will hold us up, you will defend us, that you love us, that you love us unconditionally. God, you made a way for us back to you. We didn't, we didn't make that way ourselves by doing all kinds of good stuff or saying all kinds of good things or memorizing enough scripture. God, those things are, are, are wonderful and they're important, but God, you made a way to us through Jesus. Oh God, as we sit at the table with you this morning, remind us, God, of, of who, you, who you are, of how much you love us. And God, give us the courage this week to go out And to have our actions flow from that knowledge. To find our identity in you, God. And to to fight our fear and anxiety and to relinquish control. God, I'm confident that with you, that we can can begin that journey. It's not magic, but we can begin that journey. We love you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name.